Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we are on the airwaves with Keith Gray, Chief Engineer of the Standard Missile Technical Project Office at NOCWD, to discuss the SM-6 rocket motor effort, which is a successful example of scheduled acceleration achieved by leveraging technology and organic capability within the command. Keith, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Let's begin with the background behind this effort. What initiated the request for the SM-6 rocket motor development effort and how did your team respond? So the tactical requirement for this rocket motor came from OPNAV N96, the surface warfare shop. The current flag officer in charge of that shop is Rear Admiral Boxall. And Admiral Boxall and his staff developed a need for a missile with revolutionary range improvement. And what you need to do that requires a new rocket motor. So that tactical requirement was translated to a programmatic requirement within Program Executive Office IWS. Ms. Gina Facini is the Principal Acquisition Program Manager for Standard Missile. She called China Lake a little over a year ago in November of 2017 asking if recent rocket motor technologies and developments could be brought to bear within the Standard Missile 6 program? Of course, the answer was yes, and here we are today. Standard estimates to produce a new rocket motor prototype were roughly two years, but your team demonstrated this prototype in seven months. How did you pull this off? There were a few critical contributing factors in play here. One is we support a wide range of customers in the Department of Defense and beyond. And so we had certain items that would have been long lead, but we had them on hand from other programs, things like tooling and materials that go into the manufacture of a motor prototype. Additionally, we drove the design architecture of this particular motor to be very flexible and adaptable to mission requirements that didn't fully exist at the program inception. So we could adapt to the tactical needs as we approach the initial capability and fielding of the system that were not necessarily nailed down on day zero. So what was the primary goal of this speed to fleet effort? Deliver an initial capability with revolutionary tactical performance gains, meaning range, to the fleet inside a five-year development cycle. And you met that goal ahead of schedule. What were the key enablers that allowed you to move fast? First and foremost, the money showed up. And that sounds trivial, but it's not. So within OPNAV, they went and found money to make this happen, and it showed up quickly and in a sustained fashion throughout the effort. So this was inside the planned POM cycle for DOD, and making that happen was absolutely a big deal. So first of all, it was funded. The requirements development was another area where we accelerated quite a bit, and that involved going and finding the right sorts of people, the missileers who could take a tactical system at the theater and ship level and drill down very quickly to design requirements for an actual rocket motor. And finding the folks that have that understanding was critical in this venture. And then we also had the team, the infrastructure, and the technologies in place, and with momentum that existed prior to this program showing up. These people were already working on innovative technologies and approaches before day zero for this program. 
I certainly want to talk about the team behind the project, but before we do that, tell me, how was this effort unique? From what I gather, you took a bit more non-traditional approach. Traditional approaches in the last few decades have involved contractors to go generate the designs and the actual prototypes. This is actually a throwback to years past in the 50s and 60s, especially at China Lake, wherein the Navy was doing the primary development of critical items and then handing off to industry later. So we didn't have to go through an upfront competitive selection process. As soon as the money showed up, we were able to start on the actual design and prototype work. On a normal basis, it would take over a year to get to a contract action that would allow a design venture to start. In this case, we started on day one. So it sounds like there's value to using organic capability to Navair. So you have a dramatically reduced time to first design and prototype actions and material selection and procurement. You also have a key connection to the technical data and the intellectual property associated with a given critical bit of hardware. So you have the in-house knowledge you can transfer outward without being corporately proprietary about it. That means that you can dramatically increase your options for engineering and manufacturing development and sustainment and production down the road. You mentioned in-house knowledge. What are the benefits of having individuals with the right experience and skills working on the project? Focus is the big advantage there. You find a small number of folks who can work together well and give them clear objectives and they can apply that focus in a very clear manner to something that needs to happen in a short amount of time. You don't have to wade through organizational filtering and so forth to get down to that team. And you find the people that know what they're doing and then you enable them to make critical decisions at the lowest working level and you'll get what you need quickly. You're leaving more of the decision making to those closest to the work. Well, I can see how that might lead time savings. So now talk to me about risk. How did that contribute to speed of delivery and how did your team mitigate those risks? So the risks and mitigation for this program were not unique. They were endemic to all rocket motor systems that are being developed across customer bases. The risk acceptance here, however, was very unique. We took normal steps to mitigate risk, things like subscale testing, for example, but we didn't burn down all the risks to a quote-unquote green state prior to critical test events. We did inform leadership where we knew the risks were yellow or perhaps even red, and then we made sure they fully understood the impact of those risks, and then we got their buy-in to proceed with the critical test events, giving that information. So it's about tailoring processes to move faster. What would you want others to learn or take away from this successful example of accelerated acquisition? We have a very large organization that is NAVAIR with very large sub-organizations and competencies, and all that comprises an immense capability in general. But bringing focused talent to bear can be a challenge. You have to know at the individual named level who to go seek out to get a particular task done. And that requires some old-fashioned networking and sustainment of organizational knowledge and memory 
so that you know who to go to ask to solve a problem. That can be challenging in a very large organization. And then you have to go be able to seek those people out and provide them with ample resources up front and on time. What were your biggest lessons learned? We started pushing up against some of the limits of manpower and infrastructure in this venture. Standard Missile 6 is not the only customer, especially in a research and development environment. We had to balance the workload amongst customers, but apply appropriate priority to this program. So our capabilities are not unlimited. Prioritization of resources is a key factor. And so also is the bolstering of unique skill set areas for future reliance so that we're not spread too thin. We've talked a lot about the value of experience during today's podcast. How will you apply those lessons learned or your experience from this project to projects in the future? So not every program or project that comes along is going to have the accelerated acquisition moniker on it. So we do have established processes that can sometimes seem burdensome, but they're there for a reason. And I would say that often the reaction within program offices and project offices is to see those as boxes that need to be checked. I would say, given my recent experience, we really need, as program leaders, to push back on that and see what the art of the possible is when it comes to tailoring. We really need to work with the various organizations that govern how we do business to say, how can I tailor this to go faster and find increased efficiency, given that those processes aren't going away and are there to provide value. Reflecting back on this effort, what would you say you're the most proud of? Well, the people on the team, of course. This is a small community. We all know each other, and it's a human accomplishment that we've undertaken here. So that's a natural thing to be proud of, I think. Functionally, however, we did exactly what we said we were going to do and on the timeline promised and on the budget we asked for. Unfortunately, that's become a rarity within the Department of Defense. Slippages in schedule, overages on spending, and failure to deliver products have become commonplace. We did the opposite of that. We did what we set out to do, and we did it on the terms agreed to up front. And staying on schedule is vital to the mission. We've all heard leadership say we must act with urgency. Why do you think that is important? The last few decades, our focus as a Department of Defense and Department of the Navy have been largely on asymmetrical conflicts. Those are the ones we're actively engaged in. What was not addressed in the context of those conflicts is the shift of global power that is potentially ongoing today. So we have near-peer adversaries or potential adversaries now who are putting a lot of time, effort, and money into technologies and operational clout worldwide. We can't allow ourselves to become outpaced by those potential adversaries. And we have to be able to develop critical technologies and weapon systems inside meaningful development timelines. And that certainly is a good point and a great way to wrap up today's podcast. Keith, I want to thank you for being here today and sharing your lessons learned from the SM6 rocket motor effort, a very successful speed to fleet initiative. That's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.